Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 28th of April, 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by Alex Thompson, bringing us Eastern approaches from the Netherlands. If only people had seen what was going on just well, before the titles ran. But anyway, yeah. let's move on. Matt Hancock, of course, uh, is going to be making uh, a an address to the nation, a usual live stream at 5.30 tonight. Uh, he didn't say this, but he would have said it if he'd been asked, I'm quite sure. Uh, I know it's, I said no to vaccine passports, but you know I was lying, don't you? So that's uh, that's what he had to say. Grant Shapps was rolled out this morning uh, on Sky TV to, uh, to announce this. Let's have a listen to what he said. I can confirm we are working uh, on uh, an NHS uh, application. Actually, it will be the actual app. It will be the, the NHS app that is used um, for people when they book appointments with the NHS and so on uh, to be able to show that you've had a vaccine or that you've had testing. And I'm working internationally with partners across the world uh, to make sure that that system can be internationally recognised. So Grant Shapps, of course, the, the Transport Secretary, because who else would you ro uh, roll out to announce this? Wasn't really, didn't seem quite sure exactly how it was going to happen. They're developing an app or no, they're actually going to use the NHS app. Uh, that's uh, that's what uh, his position was. But in the meantime, uh, people perhaps that wouldn't normally be uh, uh, asking these kinds of questions, asking on Twitter, there's a James Melville who calls himself a liberal. Are you willing to show a vaccine passport to gain entry into pubs, restaurants, cinemas, theatres and arenas? Uh, and uh, well, earlier on this morning, uh, it was very clear that the result was 82.6% uh, saying no to that. So anyway, Grant Shapps then, uh, said there would be four factors we're looking at when we look at a country uh, and whether you'll be allowed to travel or travel back from a country at, during the summer. We'll be looking at the rates of vaccination. So uh, if you're, if the rates of vaccination are up, then you're probably going to be able to go, uh, but only with a vaccine passport. Uh, we will also want to look at the rates of coronavirus in that country, how many concerns there are about various mutations, uh, and how accurate we believe the reporting to be. So uh, if the country is considered to be not reporting the statistics very accurately, uh, then that would count against them as well. So there we seem to have uh, pretty much most of the uh, government's policy agenda with respect to travel uh, in one short statement. And pretty incredible, Mike, because as we're going to be seeing in this news, uh, I think uh, the UK tops the world's... Um, league of lying and propaganda around COVID and the vaccination programme. Yes. So on Monday's programme, we were talking about India. And of course, uh, when he's talking about whether statistics are being reported properly and so on, what, what the vaccine rollout's like, uh, India is one of the countries that they've been uh, questioning whether that should go on the red list or not. Um, so we were talking about the, the stats uh, from India on Monday's programme. Dr. Zoe Harcom here taking that, looking at that in a slightly different way. And uh, saying almost 10 million people die in India every year, almost 27,000 die every day. Uh, around 3,000 died with COVID-19 yesterday. Why have we never covered India's uh, deaths 24-7 before? And this is a very good point because uh, I was asking this question on Monday's programme, is this actually something different that's going on? Or are we seeing what is the normal state of the Indian health service as devastatingly bad as that may be? Uh, being presented as something different. Are the 3,000 uh, deaths from COVID-19 yesterday extra deaths or are they in amongst the 27,000 that die every day in India? Now, of course, when we look at our own statistics uh, from the UK, 
uh, we have been showing over the past uh, 14 months that uh, the uh, deaths attributed to COVID-19 uh, are very likely to be deaths that are uh, normally seen each year in this country. Um, so then the question is, what is the role of the media, of the media in this? Uh, and uh, well, this is the BBC uh, this morning, coronavirus overwhelmed Indian hospitals, turned COVID patients away and showing various footage and so on. But the question is, can we actually believe that this is how they are presenting it? The BBC has presented things in the past as being things that they're not. Uh, and as we're going to come on to a little bit later with respect to uh, the Lorraine uh, ITV programme, um, it's becoming increasingly difficult to say whether we can believe anything that we see in the mainstream press at the moment. And particularly the BBC, Mike. We've got to focus on the BBC because, of course, the BBC funded to £5 billion, largely by the UK taxpayer. And what we're seeing is wall-to-wall -wall propaganda from the BBC. We're seeing lies. We're seeing inaccuracies. And as we're going to be showing today, we're seeing lying by omission, simply not giving the data that would give the UK population the true picture and we're going to follow that up by demonstrating that it's now nearly impossible to speak to anybody in the BBC, even though they've got circa 35, 40,000 staff. Um, so look, um, I just want to question the issue of why we're in lockdown at the moment. And uh, um, Lisa Nandy was on uh, talk radio this morning. Um, let's just have a listen to this short clip. Shouldn't we be moving the roadmap sooner, given that the data tells us that we can move to earlier dates? Well, it might be possible. We have regular briefings with the SAGE scientists. They haven't said that it's safe to move more quickly. Have you we asked them why not? Unravel. Because they're worried that we will unravel all of the progress. Why? On what basis? Made. Do vaccinations and, not know, work? You know, I, I, well, not everybody has had the vaccine. That's no, no, all the people. No, but everybody about. who needs the vaccine who's at high risk has had the vaccine. Do vaccinations not work? Well, but you still have transmission amongst the younger population who haven't yet had the vaccine. We've got to make sure we don't unravel this progress. Julia, I really do support what you say about the impact that lockdown has had. I've seen it for myself in Wigan. But the truth is, if we end up getting this wrong now, we'll end up in another lockdown. And that absolutely Why would we happen. do that? We've had a vaccinated population. Why would we end up in another lockdown? Because we haven't finished vaccinating the population. So why would we end up in another lockdown? 99% of the people who are at risk of dying of this disease. This is the threat we're constantly given. If we, go, if we do it too fast, we're told, we're not cautious, then we'll end up in another lockdown. How? Why would we end up in another lockdown if, the, Look, if all been... the majority of the vast majority of people who are at risk of dying or being hospitalised with this virus have had the vaccine? Do you think the vaccine doesn't work or do you think it works? If it works, how could that possibly happen? We've already had new variants emerging. We've seen one in Kent, which was identified there. Well, We've that's seen an argument to stay in lockdown forever. In that's India, never it, coming out of lockdown, Lisa. That's, it, staying in, that's staying in our homes, wearing a mask, never seeing anyone forever. It absolutely isn't. This has got to it be is. the last lockdown. And, you know, if we, we've, seen, we've seen the success of this lockdown, Julia. You can argue against it all you like, but the truth is we've seen the success of it. Those are figures are on the front pages of the, the newspapers today. And that, well, the vaccination programme has been an enormous success and we need to... Con so there you go. I'm, I'm staggered, Mike, sorry, in, in interrupting there, but basically... Um, this is the last lockdown, she said. Yeah, she means it because this is the last lockdown. This is new normal. Yes, because it's, we're never coming out of it. We're never lockdown. coming out yes. of it. She can't think for herself. She simply believes what these scientists say. She's not checking their work. She's not interrogating them.
to see how they believe they've come to the findings they have. So this is a classic example of yet a, another person uh, who simply cannot think for themselves anymore. Um, so let's just look at uh, the UK statistics at the moment. So uh, this is the number of cases people uh, tested positive uh, from the uh, UK government's uh, dashboard. Uh, and as you can see, uh, well, is there any justification for lockdown there? I don't think so. Uh, but they are trying to find it because, as you can see, the number of tests that are being conducted is ramping back up again. Uh, but let's have a look at deaths uh, with people tested with a positive test within 28 days of death. Uh, so this doesn't prove that somebody died of COVID-19. It just proves that they had a positive PCR test. We've said this so many times that the PCR test proves nothing. Um, so, uh, well, no justification there either. What about patients admitted to the hospital? No justification there either. But this is very strange, isn't it? Because although there's no deaths from COVID-19, relatively speaking, and no patients admitted to hospital, relatively speaking, if we look at the latest statistics from the Office for National Statistics on the number of excess deaths, well, there's a few key things to notice here. First of all, if we look at the people dying in hospital, that's starting to head up back up towards the... Uh, the uh, five-year average, despite the fact that we are coming into the summer season. Uh, same in care homes, we're seeing that trend move back towards the five-year average. Um, and we're seeing in people's own homes that people are dying of excess mortality in our own homes again. And that has been the case right the way through this from the beginning. Uh, now, Lisa Nandy claimed that the lockdown was a success. This graphic absolutely demonstrates We've explained why it demonstrates this over the last 14 months. This demonstrates that the lockdown has been a complete failure because the NHS is not providing care to anybody who, in fact, to anybody really, actually. Uh, and uh, well, we'll come on to uh, this as an example. So this is from the uh, Royal College of Radiologists. Uh, they're saying that uh, uh, cancer services are no longer safe in the sense that they're not they're not no longer guaranteed to provide any kind of service. Um, they're saying that uh, by 2025, the clinical radiology workforce shortfall would be 44%. And this is because people are, there's such a waiting list for cancer now. There's such pressure on the cancer uh, departments within hospitals that people are leaving the job. So um, they're saying that uh, the number of patients facing long waits for tests such as MRI scans, ultrasounds and uh, gastroscopies has risen 10 times in the past year. 327,663 patients waiting at least six weeks. Uh, one medic told the census, because they ran a census on this, we cannot deliver adequate services to, for, for our patients. We can no longer provide cancer uh, care and acute care safety. So under those circumstances. Has lockdown been a success? Absolutely not. Has the vaccination program been a success? Absolutely not. How many people are dying now as a result of the lack of general health care in this country, um, setting aside adverse reactions to uh, vaccines and uh, the people, the very few people that are um, actually dying of COVID-19? Um, what can we say, Mike? It hasn't been a success, but maybe it has been a success if the overall agenda has been to destroy the NHS and to destroy the health of the British population. Alex, maybe you'd like to respond to that. Is this, um, is this cock up, which lots of people love to think that we've just got incompetent politicians and they're so incompetent that this massive plan has unfolded and all gone 
terribly wrong or is this a calculated plan to destroy the health of the nation? Well, Brian, we were often told that cock-ups are more common than conspiracies, but this uh, statement from about the 90s was doing the rounds in the public service in my parents' day and in my day in order to pre-cook the, uh, the idea in the traditional British way through humour that, of course, there's no conspiracies. But conspiracy, uh, an older term for which is combination, is simply people putting their heads together to say, right, guys, here, here is how we're going to present this. Uh, I think what UK Colin News does is show through its coverage that extremely few people make the decisions and look at first hand at the data and when that condition is understood you will you will be able to understand uh, that actually a very few people with malign intent can wreak a lot of havoc indeed a lot of havoc and that's exactly what we're seeing in the country but so bad is the scam and the plan of the other side that of course they've had to drag tony blair as we've already shown on monday's news tony blair to the fore um, Quite a few people talking about his haircut, Mike. Yes. But uh, we'll save that maybe for Friday. Uh, but uh, thank you very much to the viewer that sent in this clip of Tony Blair. Listen very carefully to what he says. I just think it's, it's, a, it's a reluctance to put all the data out there, possibly because they haven't yet found the right way of formulating it. But my point is, you know, the UK is probably the only country in the world that at scale, millions and millions of people have had both Pfizer, the mRNA vaccine, and AstraZeneca, the adenovirus vaccine. And therefore a comparison between the two is extremely valuable. And of course, it's very much in our interest, as I say, that we restore the credibility. I mean, I think the credibility is still here for AstraZeneca in this country, but you've now got, I mean, a, a crazy situation where you have regulators, not just in Europe, but you, you have countries in Africa refusing AstraZeneca vaccine when it will have a huge and beneficial impact on their people if they can get them vaccinated. I, I suppose that's the point, though, isn't it, is to be able to show people the kinds of things that you ought to be able to do once you've been vaccinated. And the government is very, very keen here to make sure, well, really, that our behaviour doesn't change at all. Whereas in the United States, as you'll know, the Center for Disease Control has actually been rather more liberal and has, and has suggested to people, for instance, that they can hug their grandchildren safely because the chances if they've been double vaccinated of, of anything happening to them and indeed of them passing it on to their grandchildren are, are very, very slim. We don't have the same messaging. I'm wondering, should we? Well, I think the messaging look, it's, it's always difficult because there is still a risk and people want to be cautious. But I don't think there's any point in holding back the information, especially if there's misinformation out there. I mean, I think that the evidence is absolutely clear that vaccination reduces transmission, reduces risk of hospitalization and death and, and reduces them dramatically. Well, what a combination the BBC together with Tony Blair. And of course, Tony Blair saying, well, we should get the statistics out there. We could agree with him on one point. Let's get all the statistics out and let's get the adverse reaction statistics out. Because, of course, the BBC and Tony Blair, neither of those two, want to report the data which shows the severe adverse reactions that people are getting from all the vaccines. Well, the BBC fully culpable. Let's have a look at their web page earlier uh, this morning. Um, most of it uh, focused on India. You'll see the major headline is all to do with India. But this caught my eye. Uh, what did we have? Sore arm 
is the most common COVID vaccine side effect. And I read that, I was going to say with astonishment, but of course I'm never astonished when I read utter nonsense on the BBC's website. So if you clicked on that link, it took you to this article. Here's the big headline, COVID vaccine, sore arm and headache, the most common side effects. Now, I was contacted earlier this morning by somebody who said to me, Brian, this headline is so dangerous because, of course, the NHS guidance is that if you get a headache, you should be seeking medical advice because many people who've had the strokes as a result of the vaccines have had problems with headaches. So the BBC putting the nation's health at risk by spinning at best, but I think the BBC is deliberately lying here because this is propaganda. But of course, following on from The Guardian, doing the same a week or two ago. Uh, yes, but this is, this is the BBC. This is the £5 billion uh, British propaganda machine at work. What is the BBC not telling the UK public that AstraZeneca vaccine adverse reactions 548,495 with 627 deaths. They're talking about deaths in India, deaths anywhere, very sad, but the BBC has never reported the deaths from adverse effects in the uh, UK. And we should also just remind ourselves, of course, the one question that Boris Johnson nor Matt Han Hancock will answer is how many people died within three weeks of having had the vaccine in the first place. They're not collecting that data, or if they are collecting it, they're refusing to announce it. Well, we, we can talk about the data collection in, in just a moment, Mike, because I think there's something very, very dirty and devious going on with data collection. We can be sure the data is not being collected for the benefit of the UK public. If it were, then this information, of course, would be put in front of the public. So we've done AstraZeneca there. Let's bring up Pfizer. Here they are, adverse reactions, 143,034 deaths, 334. And this is not UK column data. This is the government's own MHRA data dated the 16th of April 2021. So by failing to tell the facts, the BBC is lying to the public. There's no question. But if we get deeper into this article, it gets a lot dirtier because, of course, the experts are quoted. So this is the first one, Professor Tim Spector. He says that these findings, that it's only a few problems with your arm and a few mild side effects, these findings should reassure people the after effects of the vaccine are usually mild and short-lived. Well, you're going to be pretty short-lived if you've died as a result of the adverse side effect, Mike. I don't know whether that's what he meant, but we're certainly seeing some short-lived people because they're dead. He went on uh, and put this in context. The, the article said for AstraZeneca, roughly half as many people had a whole body reaction like fever or fatigue, as was recorded in clinical trials. And against that background, he said this may be because people in the clinical trials were younger and healthier or because people enrolled in the trial of an experimental vaccine might be more nervous and so more likely to identify symptoms. Now, we've exposed that the uh, vaccine is both of the vaccines, all of the vaccines are trial vaccines. They're being used in an experiment on the public. We know that because they're designated black triangle uh, medicines by the MHRA. So it's the public that's being used uh, for an experimental vaccine. 
uh, but the, the public can't be nervous because they're not being told the true dangers. So let's bring in uh, a colleague of uh, Professor Tim Spector, and this is Dr. Christina Menny. Um, and she had, she said, with regard to the Zoe study, which is, is the, the study, the main focus of the BBC article, she said the results supported the safety of both vaccines and should help allay safety concerns of people willing to get vaccinated. But of course, there was absolutely no information in that BBC article about the yellow card vaccine adverse effects. None of the deaths, the thousand or so deaths were mentioned, uh, over 649, whatever it is, thousand adverse reactions mentioned at all by the BBC. Um, Alex, I'm going to say that the BBC has been regarded as dirty by the UK public for a very long time, but the, the blatancy of the hypocrisy and the propaganda is, is overwhelming. This is, this is media constructed in connivance with the British government to deceive the public, or am I being a bit strong here on this one? I don't think you're being strong there, uh, Brian, because, of course, we wouldn't broadcast it, but we do get tips from the public who have rubbed shoulders with BBC key journalists, particularly in the uh, media battle end of the spectrum, disinformation specialists, as they call themselves now, uh, suggesting that uh, perhaps they were got at early in their careers. Uh, but just quite apart from that, there's the more general category of BBC trending, something that you, Brian, have often turned to, to see what uh, mind worms the BBC is is, uh, is putting on hooks for people as it were and if you look at the uh, I think it's the head honcho there Mike Wendling who we uh, focused on in quite some detail a couple of years ago in a particular case look at his Twitter profile Mike Wendling over the weekend and how for example he has reported uh, the, 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 uh, the piffle of the, the, the notion that there were many people of, of right mind on the streets of London's absolute tosh uh, so that this this is uh, a, a well-worn path, isn't it, of uh, people who used to just be inside the BBC cooking up the message secondhand, but now they come out on largely Twitter saying the agenda is this. You know that this in Ukraine in the Leonid Kuchma era there was a name for this uh, uh, control between the, uh, the 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 boffins in government and uh, the the state-aligned media. Uh, they called the messages that came out the temniki, the daily the messages for the day or the themes for the day, and this brought down the Kuchma government in. The end uh, because you know the, the people understood that the the bosses of most media outfits went for a 9am briefing in the presidential apparatus uh, and that's in a sort of a ham-fisted eastern european way of doing things but the bbc as usual with britain does things with so much more panache well, that's a very polite way of putting it panache <laughs> we'll just we'll find some other words i think to describe it now i was very um what is the word um unsettled when I went looking for more details about who exactly Professor Tim Spector was. Uh, this is a gentleman from King's College that's just been in that BBC article. And I was astonished to discover that he's running a specialist site called Twins UK, uh, where he's boasting that uh, it's had over 15,000 identical and non-identical twins from across the UK with ages between 18 and 100. Um, as basically objects of research. Um, and that research is being shared with a vast range of uh, supposedly medical and research companies. So I, I just got a very uneasy feeling. These are adult twins, but suddenly we're finding that this man who, to me, doesn't appear to be telling the true statistics about the dangers of vaccines, 
is running a company which is which is doing some form of medical experimentation or data experimentation on twins. And I was then to discover that Dr. Christina Many is also tied up in this same organization. And I think there are a lot of questions that the UK public needs to be asked about what's going on here, because if we have a look, the Twins UK is funded by the Wellcome Trust. So we're straight into the big pharma um, research trusts, which have no accountability as far as the public's concerned. The Medical Research Council, the European Union, the Chronic Disease Research Foundation, Zoe Global Limit, Limited, which we'll be coming on to in a minute, uh, Bioresource, and then we see it's all linked into Guy's and St. Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust. Now, Mike, you're sitting beside me. I called uh, a number this morning to find out what this organization was actually doing. I called the number on their own website. Uh, that actually led me through into the St. Thomas's Hospital complex, uh, where a very strange gentleman responded and said that he, he didn't know anything about um, um, Mr. Spectre or, or the... Or, the um, or Zoe. Or Zoe or the, or the Twins UK. So he was very, very cagey and clearly wanted the conversation to stop as soon as possible. So I think we're gonna to say to our audience, if you can give us any help to actually see what's happening here with this collection of data, uh, we would appreciate it. Uh, this is more about the Zoe COVID symptoms study. So this is uh, what you'll find online if you go looking for it. And now we're linking into another application where you're helping and contributing to advance vital research on COVID-19. So you don't know whether you're dealing with a private company or some sort of university research body, but it's linked into the NHS and it doesn't appear to be the same as the app that you've been talking about. No, no, it's not. It's a different app. It's different. So we're going to say, have a look at Zoe Global Limited. There's Tim Spector because he's the man at the heart of this. BBC's favourite, obviously, today. And if you want to get deeper in, you can go and look at one of the, um, the uh, web pages that investigates companies or not investigates, provides data. And so here we can see that a lot of money, a lot of money has come into Zoe Global Limited. Um, but we've no idea what's actually being done or why. But uh, Alex. Just to point out to those interested in such things, Greek has two words for life. The main one that we are familiar with in science is bios, because we find it in biology and, and associated words. That simply means the quality of being alive. Uh, zoe is the classical Greek word for quality of life, a life worth living or spiritual life. So I think the suggestion etymologically behind that word uh, is enjoying perhaps a particular quality of life. Now, the question is, who gets to enjoy it? Who gets to enjoy it? Yes. Well, I think some of our audience are beginning to feel uneasy about what, what we're showing here. And mainly, as usual, UK column is showing factual information, but asking the questions. Now, we want to just show people that, of course, it's not just UK where we've got um, the mainstream, the old media, uh, talking about what's happening with vaccine adverse effects. Uh, this clip, I believe, is from uh, CNN. Let's just have a look at it. I spoke with a local woman who says she lost feeling in much of her body just hours after getting Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. And it was the scariest thing in the world to go to sleep completely fine, walking to wake up at 1.30 in the morning, not able to move at all. 
She didn't want to show her face, but she tells Channel 11's Jillian Hartman about the moment that she realized that something was very wrong, and Jillian's live with us tonight. Jillian? Yeah, she spoke with me exclusively from her hospital bed. Her family also told me doctors at Allegheny General Hospital ran every test you can imagine, but still don't know why a perfectly healthy 33-year-old mother is basically paralyzed from the chest down just hours after getting the Pfizer vaccine. Like you just said, Lisa, she didn't want to share her name. She didn't want to show her face, but she wants to show and share her story right now as more people become eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. And it was the scariest thing in the world to go to sleep completely fine, walking to wake up at 1.30 in the morning, not able to move at all. This Bethel Park woman is speaking out only on 11 after she decided to get the first shot of the Pfizer vaccine last week. Afterwards, she felt fine and went about her normal day. But 12 hours later, she says she woke up in the middle of the night, paralyzed with no feeling in her arms and legs. And I'm literally counting on my daughter to hand me my phone to call to get help. Paramedics arrived and she was rushed to Jefferson Hospital to be treated. I told them the only thing that has been different literally from the that has that could have caused this that I've done different in my daily routine is I got the, the first shot of the Pfizer. She was then moved to Allegheny General Hospital in the north side where they ran several tests. She said the MRI and spinal tap were clear. The blood work all came back negative, ruling out any rare diseases and disorders. There's just nothing that they could find wrong with me, like no underlying conditions, nothing like I have nothing in my history, nothing. And they're basically telling me you're healthy. Like we can't figure out why this is going on. Luckily, she's been able to regain feeling and strengthen her arms, but still no function from her lower chest down besides very slight movement and a few toes at last check. I did ask a local infectious disease doctor with UPMC if he's heard anything like this happening in the world yet. I haven't heard of paralysis from the Pfizer vaccine. I also did ask Dr. Dave Weber if he thinks this could be a side effect of the Pfizer vaccine or if it could be something else. I'm sure there's more than one potential explanation. Um, and it would really be premature for me to judge whether it's whether it's a side effects of the vaccine or not. I think it definitely needs to be looked at. It should be reported. I reached out to Pfizer about this particular case. The director of its global media relations said at this time, our ongoing review has not identified any safety signals with paralysis in the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. It is important to note that serious adverse events that are unrelated to the vaccine are unfortunately likely to occur at a similar rate as they would in the general population. Regardless, this woman is concerned her condition points to the vaccine and fears it could be permanent. Now her daughter's drawings are helping her get through this. Well, what an incredible clip, because of course the clip that was taken down from UK column YouTube was the clip of a lady in the United Kingdom saying her husband uh, was paralyzed as a result of uh, taking the vaccine. Uh, we've got a report in America, uh, but what does this, uh, let's just bring him up on screen. Oops, there we go. I'm sorry, come back a second. Dr. Dave Weber, um, he said that he hadn't heard of any reports, which is amazing because if you look at the American VAERS reports, uh, we can see a lot of information about all sorts of serious side effects. Oh, but you have to read that, whereas he hasn't heard about it. Well, he hasn't heard about it. Yeah. So I'm going to say that this very specialized doctor that's been brought in here is totally unaware of it. And of course, what do the vaccines companies say? Well, they say, well, um, we haven't seen anything that was causing us alarm in the trials. So, of course, nobody's uh, alarmed because nobody is actually looking 
at the adverse reaction data which is being collected because it's being collected and hidden in plain sight from the UK public and indeed the American public. Now we challenged the uh, BBC on an unrelated subject, but the two follow. So let's just have a look at this on screen uh, because yesterday we emailed um, Tim Davey, the Director General of the BBC, uh, to ask him why did the BBC funded some five billion public money not report uh, to the fee-playing public a peaceful protest against COVID lockdown in London on Saturday, the 24th of April, 2021, which involved hundreds of thousands of people from all races, colours, ages, religions and backgrounds. The BBC did not report those hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, what was the reply from Tim Davey? Well, of course, it's been a deafening silence. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that if, if the uh, BBC is not prepared to tell the truth about the number of people, hundreds of thousands of people protesting in London, we can be pretty sure the BBC is not going to tell the truth about vaccine side effects or indeed uh, other significant reports which they should be reporting. So let's just have a little listen as to what happens when you call the £5 billion uh, BBC media machine. Welcome to BBC Audience Services. We're sorry that we're not able to take your call. This is because we have limited staffing and working restrictions due to the coronavirus pandemic at present. However, you can go online to contact us at bbc.co.uk forward slash contact. That's bbc.co.uk forward slash contact about BBC feedback and services. If you're encountering problems with TV or radio reception, then go online to our BBC reception advice site at bbc.co.uk forward slash reception. That's bbc.co.uk forward slash reception. You can also use our automated message service to record feedback about BBC programmes and services. You'll hear details of how to do this in a moment. We know you may have questions or suggestions for us about the coronavirus, but we regret we can't provide advice. To help keep yourself and those around you safe, BBC News is providing extensive coverage and information. We suggest you read this online at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash news forward slash explainers. If you need medical advice, we advise visiting nhs.uk or the NHS 111 service. And for information about the latest government support, visit gov.uk. If you need to use our automated message service to leave feedback about BBC coverage, please press 1 now. Otherwise, thank you for contacting BBC Audience Services. Well, an interesting little clip, because if you paid attention to it, he said that the BBC couldn't give advice with regard to COVID. But of course, what is the BBC doing on a daily, uh, daily basis, giving full advice um, as to what you should do about COVID and that you should be vaccinated and you should ignore all of the government's own statistics about serious adverse effects. So we were fascinated by that. We were also fascinated that COVID has so destroyed the BBC, none of the 37,500 staff were available to man the telephones. Let's try another one. If you are calling from your own extension, press hash. If not, you may enter your extension or your name. To enter an extension, dial the extension and then press hash. To enter your name, press star. If you are calling from your own extension, press hash. If not, you may enter your extension or your name. 
To enter an extension, dial the extension and then press hash. To enter your name, press star. If you are calling from your own extension, press hash. If not, you may enter your extension or... So that uh, last call was particularly interesting because, of course, that was a call on the number for media organisations to contact the BBC in order to discuss matters on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. So the BBC is devoid of human beings at the moment. It can't function, so I don't know how it's spending the £5 billion, uh, but it's pretty, pretty dangerous stuff. Now, a big thank you to one of our viewers and supporters who sent in this email, and I think it's a truly wonderful email. They said, because UK Column is reporting the adverse effects that the government is reporting, um, why, why don't we help people worldwide to find out about the adverse reaction statistics? And so we're going to put on screen now the links that you can follow. These are the ones that uh, this particular individual has found. I'll bring the first one on up on screen. Of course, you can see MHRA, yellow card system for UK, but we've got VAERS for the USA, Canada, Germany and Europe. Those are all the web addresses to go to in order to see data and report data on vaccine adverse effects. And uh, we've got another se selection here looking at the individual um, vaccine companies themselves. So freeze that on screen and you've got the data worldwide. We're happy to publish any more where people can go and look for themselves as to what the dangers and risks are. Well, I'm sure we'll have those links under the uh, in the description of the video later on. Uh, but Alex, uh, let's have a look at this. Uh, care home resident forcibly restrained by carers. Uh, what's going on? This is on the main town of Great Cumbrae, an island just off the west coast of Scotland, well known to Glaswegians for holiday jaunts. And on the left, I've put here the daily expose, which we have recently started noticing as a good source of, indeed, it's true to its name, exposés. And I think it's good to feature the free media first, although they seem largely to have based this on the item which you can start bringing in on the right hand side from one of Scotland's main, uh, mainstream red tops, the daily record. But in both cases, the report is about uh, a lady of uh, mental problems, an adult, being held down and vaccinated against her will. Uh, so there's four people involved in total. And uh, if you look at the insiders speaking in, in the right-hand column, the Daily Record, which seems to be the original report of it, uh, this uh, seems to be just the tip of the iceberg. And there are concerns about bullying and intimidation of staff, quite apart from the unimaginably horrendous behaviour of holding people down and uh, invest in injecting them. There's some suggestion in that article uh, that people have been injected through their clothes. It's just unthinkable stuff. Uh, but let's go on to the European Parliament, because... Uh, over here in uh, uh, the European continent. Sometime uh, around now or this afternoon, the European Parliament is due to vote uh, on what's known as the Digital Green Certificate. Uh, so Children's Health Defence, based in the US, but the European branch is reporting on how voters have been lobbying MEPs to support an amendment. Those who want to freeze the screen can read uh, the uh, the explanation for the amendments in the um, in uh, the words of the man himself who proposed it, the Dutch MEP Rob Roken. Uh, but he is uh, complaining that this legislation infringes on basic human rights and does not guarantee any kind of data privacy. So that Rob Roken amendment is before MEPs uh, this afternoon. Roken, by the way, is one of the three MEPs for uh, a, minor, a minor faction which 
split from the Forum for Democracy, an up-and-coming Dutch anti-regime party, which I've been reporting on, and the three-man faction uh, has been very active uh, in proposing such amendments, so just too late for this uh, the deadline for today to report on how the vote went. Meanwhile, uh, an extremely promising group known as Doctors for Covid Ethics, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more from and about them, uh, involving very high key figures known to our viewers, including uh, Professor Sukarit Bakti and uh, Professor Dol Dolores Cahill and uh, Dr. Rainer Filmich on the legal side, have put this together. Notices of liability for COVID-19 vaccine, uh, COVID vaccine harms and deaths have been served on all members of the European Parliament. I understand they did this through, it's rather difficult, but they managed to do it through personal serving of the notice in the common law fashion, although you're normally not supposed to be able to do that because of bogus security concerns. They've done it somehow. Let's see what the MEPs have been put on notice regarding their votes today. Uh, this notice of liability has been served to you personally. You may be personally held liable for harm and death caused by the implement implementation of the proposal. If you take further action supporting such implementation, uh, you may be held personally liable for resulting harm and death, because this is uh, the EU's vaccine passport, although it's called a digital uh, uh, digital green uh, certificate uh, in the, the wording of the EU. I see in the chat box, by the way, that Durham University is already implementing at single university level, as some universities have in the USA, is implementing it unilaterally now, uh, some kind of vaccine certification. Doctors for COVID ethics warning uh, to the MEPs goes on. Furthermore, you may be held personally responsible for supporting crimes against humanity. Now, this is civil law, continental language that will probably speak to MEPs more because of their training and legal background. And these crimes against humanity are defined as acts that are purposely committed as part of a widespread or systematic policy directed against civilians committed in furtherance of state policy. Uh, by my book, the digital uh, green certificate meets that requirement uh, to be defined as a crime against humanity. That's a personal opinion. In a separate piece on their medium.com blog, Doctors for Covid Ethics have also a couple of days ago written to the head of the European Medicines Agency, the EU's executive agency for medicines, uh, and somewhat equivalent to the MHRA um, or the Robert Koch Institute in Germany, warning uh, for a third time of COVID vaccine dangers. They've written personally to the Irish woman who heads that agency, as we can see on the next slide. Uh, the uh, European Union's, uh, in a way, house journal, although it's independent, politico.eu, has even caricatured the lady, Emma Cook, uh, because it's, she's, it's hailing her as a great combatant against conspiracy theories and a, and a can-do figure. She's, she's one of the uh, one of the doers on their list. And uh, Doctors for COVID Ethics have written to her personally, demanding the things that, again, you can freeze the screen to look at. But Emma Cook is being asked to come up with the effects of gene-based vaccines on fertility in women of childbearing age and in men. The number of cremations performed since and including 8th of December 2020, when the vaccine rollout in the EU began, and the number of burials since and including that date of those recorded as having died from COVID, not necessarily in the EU. They're asking for medical justification for the interval between the two Pfizer injections being increased at short notice to 12 weeks. They're asking for the medical justification for mix and match policy, that you can have an AstraZeneca and then a Pfizer as a top up. And they're asking for medical justification for depriving recipients of the gene-based vaccines in at least one EU member state uh, of knowledge of which of which gene-based vaccines they have received. You know, you've had a vaccine, which one was it? Dunno. Which leaflet applies? Dunno. That's happened in one EU member state. Let's see whether the, the can-do Amer Cook is able to come up with any of that information.
Yes, okay, well, let's uh, quickly move on and just mention that uh, Mind today warning uh, that, in fact, this is a mental health emergency. They're referring to lockdown, of course. Uh, let's see what they have to say here. Uh, as restrictions continue to be to ease and we begin to deal with long-term impacts of the pandemic, well, I'm going to take issue with that because, in fact, we're dealing with long-term Im impacts of lockdown, uh, which are the just government policy and the, pan the, the virus didn't create the lockdown. Um, and... Uh, it's really important everyone has offered a range of options, including face-to-face -face treatment, so they can pick up the most convenient and appropriate option. Uh, and uh, of course, that's not happening. Face-to-face uh, -face treatment was something that people were very, very keen to see, um, but people can't even still uh, get through to their GPs, never mind get some uh, mental health uh, uh, help. And they're targeting these very people for vaccination. Yes. So, uh, and, and you know, we're just hearing uh, more and more often now um, reports from, from paramedics, reports from uh, people, funeral directors and so on, uh, of the numbers of uh, suicides uh, at the moment increasing hugely. We're not seeing that being reported anywhere. Uh, of course, the, the government claiming uh, that they don't have those statistics either because inquests haven't been completed. Um, so, uh, well mental health that it, if people are suffering from mental health issues this has been done to them by the policy by, by the, the policy of our own government yes um okay um alex uh, let's come on to this one then uh 77 7766 dead 330218 injuries so this is the uh, european uh, database of adverse reactions it's UDRA Vigilance, run by the EMA, the European Medicines Agency that I just mentioned, and it covers the whole EEA, or European Economic Area. So uh, non-EU member states including uh, are included in that, some of them. Uh, UDRA Vigilance is the name of the website in, in question. Health Impact News reported the headline figure here. Uh, so several eagle-eyed viewers of statistical background have contacted us uh, about this, and we are interested in hearing follow-up from those who have spoken about this. Let's have a look at what one statistician by background has noted. This is all vaccine adverse effects fed into the EMA's UDRA vigilance database as of remarkably enough, that should read 2021, sorry, the same cutoff date as you mentioned for the uh, MHRA, these tend to be uh, uh, week end data sets. So they, they often end on the same day of the week. Uh, Pfizer, uh, so in each case, I won't read all the stats out, but you can see this in each case for the four vaccines, it's doses, administered doses notes that this is, this is more than the individual number of people because they're often double dosing. Um, all deaths uh, reported to the UDRA Vigilance database. Deaths of those under 65 is the third column. And then the calculation that our uh, informant has made is the risk of dying from the vaccine uh, administration. So for example, for Pfizer out of 88 million deaths, it's a 0.0024% death uh, risk of dying. Uh, let's look at the right-hand column where we find the final and much less popular vaccine, Johnson & Johnson, a US vaccine entering the market. There are of course non-Western ones, but the big four from the West are the ones being administered in, in Europe at the moment. Total 324,680 reports slash cases, 130 million doses administered in the European economic area, uh, resulting in 3,000 838 deaths in total, 504 of which are of those under 65. So the risk per dose 
not per person, but per dose administered, is a 0.0029% risk. Um, now, the person sending me this makes a couple of observations. He says it's not per individual, it's per dose. Uh, these reports are, offer, are put in by professionals as well as non-healthcare professionals, and uh, it's you need to look into the line reporting to find out what's going on. So for those able to look at the URL on screen now who have statistical understanding, this is the doses tracker, which allows you to find out the risk analysis for different injection brands and age group. You really need to go to the final uh, data set. So look in the links provided under this upload on whatever platform you're looking on. UKColumn.org is the best place to watch the news, of course, from us. And you will find per uh, four major uh, manufacturers the individual data sets. Of course, it's always the last line on the back screen. Uh, but this uh, statistician who's written to us has found that. So we are very interested in cross-checking this. Uh, there is a lot more work to do to cross-check very accurately what's being done. Uh, a lot of crunching uh, needed to be done there. Uh, crossing over to the USA, the National Pulse has what it calls a scoop, and I'm sure it is. Uh, Dr. Fauci's uh, organization that he's led for nearly 40 years now, NIAID, the National Institute for um, Allerg uh, Allergy and Infectious Diseases, if I remember the acronym correctly, uh, they have had scrubbed from the internet a record of the uh, participation of two of their staff in a conference uh, in 2016, hosted by the Nature Science Journal, uh, which had as its conference theme, viral infection and immune response. Uh, the archives have been retrieved, and there was also a press release from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where this summit was held. Rather interesting stuff, particularly that it's been scrubbed. Uh, over in Germany, an interesting update from uh, actors and playwrights. This has drawn a lot of ire from the German um, establishment. Under the hashtags, these are ironic hacks, hashtags, alles dicht machen, lock everything down, nie wieder aufmachen, never open up again, and lockdown für immer, lockdown forevermore. These actors have been doing pieces to camera using their ironic acting skills on the alles dicht machen channel on YouTube saying things like, for example, Miriam Stein here on screen is saying, obviously, in an ironic uh, example of the agree and amplify rhetorical strategy to, to ridicule people, she's saying, I'm very concerned that we're not PCR testing everyone. We should be PTR testing infants and the unborn in the womb twice a day. Uh, this has come up with, uh, obviously, a firestorm of uh, responses from uh, various German uh, outlets saying, how dare these actors be regime critical, overtones of Bertolt Brecht working for the DDR there. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, look, uh, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and uh, you would be very welcome to join us there and do share our material that you find on the platforms that are still open to us. YouTube uh, has currently banned us for another two weeks. Uh, that's our second strike. Uh, we'll be coming on to the, uh, the censorship situation in a minute. Uh, but do share material on BitChute and Odyssey as well. Uh, and Alex, uh, just very briefly, the uh, the fundraiser. Yes, the fundraiser for the lady whose uh, story you can read on this blog has uh, gone down incredibly well, actually. So I spoke to her this morning and she said that she's had long lasting tears of joy from reading the kind messages and seeing the donations that have been put into the Just Giving site that's on screen at the moment. And uh, we will just bring up at the bottom of that slide the URL that you can go to to uh, give to uh, help this lady and her uh, uh, adult son with special needs uh, get his toys back after having had to flee Britain for fear of 
compulsory vaccination. And I think the story from Cumbrae Island off the coast of Scotland illustrates uh, that that was not a, an exaggerated fear. And I forgot to say a moment ago that uh, the particular concern that the statistician sent about the UDRA vigilance data is that what other medicine would already uh, would would be continued to be allowed to be used under even emergency authorization if there were already upwards of 500 suspicious deaths in the young in the under 65s at this point in the rollout. Uh, that's something that we really need people to, to crunch over. Okay, well, with an eye on the clock, uh, a quick run through some of the wonderful information we've had into the UK column from viewers and listeners. Uh, we've had a little bit more of the uh, march, and this photograph was sent to us by a gentleman named Brian. And of course, we've got a UK column T-shirt in the centre of this one, so that's just lovely to see. Uh, we have this one here. Dear Brian, I'd like to say how much my wife and, her, and I appreciate you. That's the UK column, of course. Amazing. Another great show today. I'm a member, uh, but show support. I'm cancelling my BBC licence fee and my wife will be donating it to you as a member. Well, that one warms the cockles of my heart. So thank you very much for that. And then, of course, this was just prior to London. So they were saying they were off to the protest. But thank you very much there to John and Mag. And then we'd shown this on Monday, I think it was, um, which was the um, an umbrella from the march. And of course, it's got lots of information on and, and also the UK column news. Well, today, the lady, Anne, who had made that umbrella, contacted us um, and told us that she'd been along to the event. She also uh, put a lot of information on this slide about things that she knows and has happened to family members. So if you want to freeze this, you can look at the detail in this but of course she's highly suspicious about what's been going on around covid and the covid lockdown this was another uh, very nice photo hands off the uk column quite right too uh, we've got this one thank you sorry thank you doesn't really cut it but so much gratitude for you all and all you're doing to bring truth and integrity you have my full support and subscription that was very kind thank you very much for that uh, we had another police one. Let's just blow up. Oh, sorry, I mustn't say that. Let's just inflate the policeman gently. And uh, here we've got, and just like that, little Susie cured the worst virus of all time. I think that's a policewoman, by the way. It's a policewoman? I think so, yes. Unless Are you a, sure? What was she a, identifying as? Unless she's got a Tony Blair haircut. <laughs> okay, apologies to the lady concerned. It got carried away there by policeman. Um, uh, so somebody's put a hammer through a TV set, which is appropriate. Uh, we've got this email here. Now, this one I encourage people to really look at, but a gentleman was sort of saying, well, you've reported on the police, you were quite hard, but maybe there's other sides to it, because a lot of the march in London was very well policed by the male and female police persons. So I think this is absolutely correct. We, of course, focused on the horrible incident in Hyde Park. Uh, but this person sent through some little tweets from the Met Police where they were uh, tweeting out that the protest should conclude at 6.30. And here's the little statement. With that in mind, we'd ask those who continue to gather in Hyde Park to disperse. Um, and this one here, City of London Police, we're supporting our colleagues in the Metropolitan Police as a group of protesters move into the city for your own protection, the protection of others. Please don't, do not attend large gatherings. So I'm going to say, well, it's all very well the police talking like this to each other. But of course, they've got to come out with a consistent policy. And if they're not going to police for Black Lives Matters or LGB community, 
why is it that they've decided to go for the crowd in Hyde Park, at least on this? Uh, this was another one that the gentleman sent through. And of course, this is quite emotive because the cowards that cho choose to throw things at you from afar are just that weak, are just that weak, mindless cowards. Now, I know that this particular police officer in the video, I'm pretty sure it was her, uh, was doing a useful job with her baton. So at one stage, she was very happy to be lashing out of the crowd. Uh, but at some stage, there were at least two officers that were clearly hit, I think, by cans thrown at them, which, which was uh, truly not very nice. Um, also, there were people saying that clearly there were people in the crowd who were intent on trouble. An Antifa has been listed there as a possibility for, for the trouble. So we're going to say we do recognise that a lot of the police did a very good job in policing those very big crowds. But we really need the police to be asking questions of their own bosses as to what the policy is in some of the ridiculous uh, rules that they're now being asked to enforce. Meanwhile, this was also sent to us and it's an amusing little video clip which you can find online. And uh, what have we got? Well, a little bit of a love affair had been taking place inside a police car. And so we're clearly seeing that uh, the police are not exactly following the rules themselves. Um, now, earlier on, we said, you know, with respect to some BBC reporting, it's very hard to know whether they're telling the truth or not. And what, what could we possibly uh, say to justify that? Well, of course, one of the big policy areas that we're heading towards, and we're getting a hint of it, as Alex has already pointed out, with the fact that the vaccine passports in uh, Israel and now in the EU are being called green passports. Uh, many of the policies that have been implemented as a result of COVID, or at least using as COVID as the excuse, are exactly the types of policies that uh, uh, the uh, pressure for climate change, uh, uh, lockdowns and this kind of thing, reduction of uh, industry, industrial activity and so on wants to see. Um, and of course, we've got a whole lot of propaganda around that. And actually, many of the, much of the science uh, around uh, climate change has been very much the same standard of science as we've seen around COVID. So anyway, we're going to look at a little video clip that uh, people have been showing, uh, sending around uh, from the Lorraine uh, program on ITV. Uh, and it's about, uh, it's about climate change. So let's just have a look at this. And one of the most remarkable sequences as well was seeing the Himalayas before and after, before people in Pakistan couldn't see them. You can see the split screen there. That was before when it was just like smog, basically. And then look at that, crystal clear views. That's remarkable, isn't it? Now, the people that were spreading that around uh, on Facebook or on Twitter and so on were accusing the Lorraine programme of fake news. Um, we'll explain why uh, it, they thought it was fake news, first of all. So um, here's the final, here's the graphic, the picture that they were showing. Um, this is uh, all about a documentary called The Year Earth Changed, which, of course, was made by David Attenborough. But Lorraine uh, making the point that these or suggesting that these two uh, shots from that documentary were from different times. Uh, but in fact, if you look carefully at the washing line there, you'll find things hanging. Uh, and on this side, uh, the, the photograph that was supposedly taken as a result of lockdown, the same washing is an amazing coincidence. Uh, and in fact, if we look here, We've got two guys here, one in a white T-shirt, one in a blue T-shirt, uh, and those two guys are there as well. So this is clearly a photoshopped uh, picture. Um, so I thought I would write to Lorraine's production team and find out what was going on here. So let's have a look 
uh, at what they said. Uh, the images that were used are taken directly from the David Attenborough documentary, The Year Earth Changed. Uh, they said uh, the before and after was screen grabbed to show the difference, uh, as, it, as it is shown via animation in the documentary. So uh, they are absolutely putting this at the door of David Attenborough uh, and his, uh, his documentary. Um, but David Attenborough has form on this area, in this area, doesn't he? Because here's The Guardian from a few years ago. Blue Planet 2, Attenborough Defends, shots filmed in studio. Um, and if you remember the excuse they used for pretending that shots that were filmed in a studio were actually filmed in the wild, uh, they said that footage of captive wildlife inserted into the BBC's Blue Planet 2 series remains totally true to nature, according to the makers of the flagship show that reveals new insights into life in the oceans. So. Um, were they doing that? Was that what they were doing in this latest documentary as well? Were they showing things that were true to nature, that they couldn't be bothered going to Pakistan to take that photograph for a second time after lockdown? So they just decided, well, it was probably you're able to see the, uh, the, the, the Himalayas now, so let's just uh, pretend, that let's use a bit of Photoshop to, to demonstrate that. But the question here is, uh, the, the question to be asked of the Lorraine programme, where is the journalism? Because it, it doesn't exist. There is clearly an assumption that if David Attenborough says it, it's true. And this comes back to this whole issue of trust. And this is something that the government is trying to per persuade us that we need to have. We need to have trust in particular media organizations and believe what they say without any kind of objective criticism or any kind of yeah. objective analysis of what they're saying. Uh, the Lorraine program should have looked at that picture. They should have very quickly established that there's something wrong there and asked for clarification from the, the documentary makers. And if they couldn't get that clarification, then they should not have been pumping out such egregious propaganda on their own part. Indeed. Yes. Uh, so all we need to say, isn't it? Yes. So let's uh, have a look at this, because of course, the other thing that's going on at the moment is it, uh, we're rolling out the celebrities to persuade us that lockdown is fantastic. So I'm just, uh, by the way, uh, Andy Murray saying that, uh, Tennis players at Wimbledon this year are just going to have to accept the COVID rules. So they're not allowed to go out to socialise or that's, I feel very sorry for them. But, uh, you know, just another celebrity getting involved in pumping out the justification for what's going on. So uh, let's uh, move on then. Uh, earlier on, we showed the, uh, the clip with uh, Lisa Nandy um, on uh, uh, talk radio. And, uh, well, that, of course, lockdown, justifications of lockdown. Is lockdown going to end anytime soon? Well, not according to this latest contract uh, that many people sent us. Uh, so thank you very much for that. This is HCC 0421, provision of COVID marshals. Uh, this is happening in Hertfordshire. Let's have a look and see what they're saying. It's a three million pound contract. It's to provide practical support to aid and encourage compliance uh, with COVID rules, such as dedicated staff in public areas, business support or support for individuals. This can be collated through an intelligence-led approach. Well, that's an interesting expression, isn't it? Because it's quasi-military, however you read it. Do they mean it's going to be linked into British intelligence or or it's going to be of the style of uh, national intelligence? Don't know, but are they going to say that it will introduce measures to aid, aid the public and business awareness and understanding of regulations and guidance by disseminating uh, the COVID-19 guidance, including where local restrictions are in place and engagement or tailored communications to sectors or groups. So they're pushing this um, out uh, and, and employing 
people to do that, three million pounds. This will start in July, I think it is, and they, it will end in January 2022. Alex? If people want background on this idea of COVID Marshall, I have uh, an item up on the UK Collar website, use the magnifying glass search icon and look for my piece, what is a COVID Marshall? Although unlike uh, Hertfordshire County Council, I know how to spell Marshall, so you'll have to look for it with a single L. Um, I went into most historic aspects of it, except the role of the Earl Marshal. And once again, the continent, especially the Dutch, can uh, elucidate what's going on, because I think this is an, a globalist and international policy that local councils in various countries have to uh, bring in this grade of official. And if we look to the Dutch title of the official in question, BOA, Buitengewoon Opsporingsambtenaar, that acronym stands for Special Detection Officer special detection officer. So let's uh, stick that onto our understanding of what a, a, a British County Council's COVID marshal is. Yeah, so, so uh, I mean, is, is it about uh, marshalling the public and giving them advice or is it about data gathering? Is that what the intelligence-led approach means? No, it's, it's about uh, getting unsworn people in uh, without batons. Well, they do have tasers now, actually, in the Netherlands uh, with cameras and notebooks so that they can get more people fined and jailed than the police with their short manning would be able to get fined and jailed. Yes. OK, um, well, let's move on to the uh, censorship uh, situation. Uh, Alex Belfield uh, is currently serving, along with us, a two week ban from uh, from uh, YouTube. Sorry. Uh, for being a very naughty boy. So uh, he's not allowed to live stream or anything on YouTube at the moment uh, for another two weeks. Uh, the, and uh, Alistair Williams, the comedian who's been pretty outspoken on lockdown and other things, he has now been removed from uh, YouTube completely. Um, so what did they say to him? Well, uh, they said, we've reviewed your content and found severe or repeated violations of community guidelines. Because of this, we've removed your channel from YouTube. Uh, and what he said was that, uh, in fact, they seem to have gone through all this past material, found uh, something that they viewed was infringing their community guidelines from six months ago and used that to give him his third strike, um, which means a complete channel shutdown. So we're on our second strike at the moment. Uh, we're serving our two week ban. Uh, and uh, then, well, what do we do? Because it seems that anything that we try to uh, publish on uh, YouTube at the moment uh, is immediately being taken down and a, and a strike. So that would mean the end of the channel. And you can't engage with YouTube. It's just a big corporate blob. You can't have a discussion with anybody. So indeed, that makes it very difficult. Um, right. Uh, uh, shall I just, I'm oh, sorry. Do you want to introduce this? Uh, well, I, I, I was going to. Yes. <laughs> um, so conservative women, we've been paying an interest in them because they picked up on the lady speaking out about the vaccine adverse effects to her husband, which was taken down. But also they've had this key article of a street preacher being marched off to the uh, cells. Now, I know, Alex, you're going to do the meat of this, um, but uh, we had managed to get the little video clip. So I don't know whether you'd like to say more in the introduction and and uh, we can let people look at the clip and discuss it. Well, we'll, look, we'll have a look at the clip first. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
For a man preaching about Christianity, look how he's ripping it, look how he's ripping it. So, um, pretty serious stuff because we're we're now into the godless state, Alex. I think that's very clear to to see. Well, yes, uh, Raymond in the chat box is saying if this happens in Belfast, they usually thump the policeman. Well, yes, or the peeler, as they call them over there. That This is this is true, not that we're encouraging this. Uh, but uh, Uxbridge High Street, I'm well, I know well, uh, Pastor John Sherwood is in the circuit of churches that I grew up uh, listening to the preachers of. Very mainstream evangelical, classic evangelical preacher. Uh, nothing uh, hate-filled or ridiculous about his gospel. Um, and it's only taken two or three years from a case when police went down the Tottenham Court Road and arrested a street preacher uh, and carted him off in gentlemanly fashion all the way to this. Someone in the chat box is saying this is teenage hard as nails cops. Uh, and the, the difference is only two or three years. Uh, the classic training to constables was if your sarge tells you to arrest a preacher and he says, I'm cooperating with you, don't arrest, don't handcuff him at all for the sake of decency, because we're a Christian country. Um, if the people in ordinary situations uh, look gentlemanly and decent or ladylike, then you uh, cuff them in front. But we've gone straight through to the continental European norm, always grab the hands, always twist them round the back, always handcuff behind the back. And you can see that John Sherwood wasn't arrest expecting that. He was manhandled in much of a worse way than before. Now we're pressed for time, but I encourage people very much to read the whole of this article because every paragraph by Peter Simpson, who's a colleague of the arrested minister, uh, is important. So Pastor Sherwood uh, preached on the final verses of Genesis 1, the first bit of poetry in the Bible about God creating mankind in his image, male and female, he created them. Uh, next slide. After a while, a number of police appeared on the scene saying that three complaints had been made. The accusation made, this is the disingenuousness now, they wanted to get him under a complete twisting of the Public Order Act 1986, sections four and five. So they got him on the words, causing alarm and distress. So preaching on Genesis 1, 26 to 28, caused alarm and distress, uh, lied these police through their teeth. Uh, so th to this, the police responded, uh, to, this is someone in the crowd saying he's only preaching the gospel. The police responded that some matter Matters can simply cannot be referred to in public places because there's no freedom to make statements which offend people. Clearly, this is word for word what they're getting in police training. Uh, Pastor Sherwood said he had freedom of speech. Uh, it's a statement of the obvious that two women or two men cannot reproduce. Next slide. Uh, well, uh, Alex, I just uh, intersperse this particular. Um, is this one up on the screen? Sorry, there we go. Just bring this up on the screen because. Um, the police uh, saying that you can offend in public and the re response was um, by the gentleman that, well, of course, we can be offended by what's happening with the LGBT community. So not focusing on the rights and wrong, but simply on is the law fair? Um, what we highlight if we go for a simple search online is, is the police absolutely taking part? in these displays, even though these displays offend other people. So we've got gross hypocrisy uh, and failure of the law as it's being applied. Yeah, someone in the chat box is saying shut down Hendon. For those who don't know, it's very local to where this happened and to Pastor Sherwood's own church. Hendon is the police training college in North London. To my knowledge, that was already uh, uh, common purpose and, and closed some years ago. 
certainly completely stitched up. Someone else in the chat box saying freedom of speech is dead. Well, this write-up that you must look at by Peter Simpson on Conservative Woman explains why freedom of speech is dead. It's because the, the new, younger police generation has been told it's not a value. It's not a British value. Uh, the British value is we don't offend people in public. So Pastor Sherwood says Mr Simpson then resumed preaching and good for him. He spoke about Magna Carta and the Bill of Rights at ukcolumn.org slash constitution for more on that. Uh, a bisexual man shout out, shouted out, no, he's made homophobic statements. Uh, the police then uh, asked him to take uh, to come down. We've seen what happened then in the next minute. What happened in the cop shop? An officer then took away the Bible in the pastor's hand and pulled him from the steps uh, back at the police station. Um, he was refused. He was told he'd been arrested for public order at section five, causing alarm and distress, not for resisting arrest. And uh, it's worth noting, says Mr. Simpson, that the arrest took place after continued reasonable and polite discussion with the police. Surely this is evidence that the preacher is highly unlikely to have engaged in criminal intemperate language. Uh, he was driven to a detention centre by at near uh, Heathrow Airport, which is just south of where this took place in Uxbridge. Uh, he was kept overnight, not released till noon the next day. His solicitors described the attitude of the officers during the formal interview procedure as very unpleasant, actually Kafka-esque if you look at the next slide. Uh, they went way past the role of uh, uh, peace officers and officers of the law uh, because they grilled him on uh, how would you respond if one of your children turned out to be homosexual? Right, so this is this is values clarification stuff. Uh, and in closing, Peter Simpson quite rightly points to the relevance of the Queen's uh, promise to uphold the coronation oath to govern us in accordance with our laws and values. Yeah, well, what what can we say? Everything is there in what took place. So we've we've got free speech absolutely crushed unless the government agrees with the line that your free speech takes and the police applying, you know, um, increasingly uh, draconian approach, depending on whether they agree with what you've done or not. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, Alex, a couple of weeks ago, we were uh, showing a little bit of video uh, of a church in Canada with the pastor throwing the police out. They've uh, they've been back. They've come back and they've sent a woman from either Lancashire or the Peak District or North Cheshire along who's now a health and safety inspector in uh, Calgary, Alberta. Uh, she comes with the supercilious friend, uh, faux friendliness of the Anglosphere. Hello, Arthur. We're just there to uh, to talk to you. So if you put that slide on screen a moment, uh, I will uh, uh, describe to people that this is the, the previous one. Uh, I'll describe the... Um, that's all right. Uh, that Arthur Pavlovsky TV now has his own YouTube channel. Who knows for how long? Definitely subscribe to that. He's entitled the video, The Gestapo Came Again Attacking the Church. This was during a worship service. Uh, instead of showing the confrontational masks, I've decided to show them slinking away when they're being called Gestapo, which is much more satisfying. I'm not quite sure whether I can promise it, but I have taken a capture of some of this video. Possibly we'll be able to play it in extra time for you. But even if not, you must go and watch that video because it, once again, uh, he has uh, anatomy of steel, shall we say, in dealing with uh, this Gestapo who deliberately turn up during a worship service under the completely uh, disingenuous pretense that they're there to serve a, not a lawful notice on him. They're not. They're there to intimidate worshippers with guns. Uh, just a teaser again for those who are logged in as subscribers in extra time. I'll be talking about uh, this Dutch statue and what it has to teach us about liberty. So you don't get everything for free. Uh, subscribers can find out in UK Column News Extra what the Dutch can teach us about liberty. Yes. OK. Um, well, I think we're pretty much out of time for today. I think we are. I think we should end there. Um, we just say to everybody, thank you very much for all, all the information that's coming in. It, it's piling in. Uh, it is great. It's taking us quite some time to go through it all. Some of it we can't 
we can't get to because there's simply too much. So don't feel if you send something into the column and we don't respond, it's because it's because we don't value what you've sent. It's more likely that we can't actually uh, get the time to look at it. So um, keep sending and uh, keep researching, very important. Many people talking about what can we do? Well, of course, we've got to expose what's going on, but we've also got to get people to stand up and try and fight the system in whatever way they can. Uh, we had a visit a couple of days ago from people who were standing up as candidates for the Freedom Alliance. Uh, it was very interesting talking to them because they all came from different backgrounds, but they said, we've got to do something to stop the political policies coming through. So they said they were going to stand up in the local elections in order to uh, try and fight those policies. And uh, we, we have to say credit to them. And we're going to try and do some interviews in the coming weeks of people who are standing up to make a difference in their own way. And two other names we better mention because uh, they're local to us as well are uh, uh, Danny Bamping, of course, standing in Plymouth and also Darren of Plymouth, uh, who many people will know from Twitter, is standing as an independent in Plymouth as well. Yes. So we would encourage people to do this. We can have debates about the idea of political parties. Is the political party system a desirable one? Well, I personally think it isn't. But do we need people to do something at the moment to challenge it? Yes, we do. So well done. Well done for that. Uh, we'll be back in 10 minutes or so, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. We'll see uh, for extra for anybody on our own live stream. And uh, we'll be back at the same time, 1 p.m. on Friday. Indeed. Thanks for then. joining us. Bye-bye.